we're in the book of Galatians. I'm going to teach fast and then preach slow at the end. So that's the, that's the plan. If you're wondering where he's heading, he's heading somewhere. Um, if it feels like this is a bit kind of technical, that's all right. Just hold on. We'll get to the end. It won't be at the end. It'll all make sense. Uh, at the end, uh, we are in the book of Galatians. We started a new series here at St. Luke's on Galatians, grace and freedom. Last Sunday, we talked about grace and peace. What do you need to know this Sunday about grace and peace? Everything I talked about last week. So make sure you. No, no. Grace. Grace is the disposition of God towards humanity. Grace means favor. Grace and favor. Those, those when we, we start with the Greek. Carers, it's translated to grace or it's translated to favor, grace and favor. What's the disposition of God towards you? God's disposition towards you is grace and favor. First, second thing, the gift of Christ is grace. Christ is the grace of God given, gifted unto us that gave us life upon the cross that we might be reconciled and restored and renewed and reconnected back to God. So grace is God's disposition. Grace is the gift of Christ to us. Grace is the dance that we are invited to participate in, this relationship with God. Grace always in the first century context, if you extended grace to somebody, the expectation, just because that's how society worked, was you would receive back gratitude. And gratitude would be given back in honor or esteem or support or allegiance or loyalty. God extends his grace to us. What do we give back to God? We give our gratitude back to God, our honor, our esteem, our loyalty, our allegiance. It's just the way that it works. It's grace that we've been talking about. God is the great benefactor and you and I are the beneficiaries. God's the great benefactor. You and I are the beneficiaries. All you have to do is say yes. Yes to Jesus, yes to forgiveness, yes to mercy, yes to infinite loving kindness. Yes to mending and restoring and the working and healing of God in your heart from the inside out. Yes to the life of Christ as your own. And uh, I'm going to read this quote from last Sunday as well. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Jesus is accessible. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the brace of Jesus is simply open yourself to him. It's all he needs. Indeed, it's the only thing he works with. Does not get flustered and frustrated when you come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point came to heal. It's the whole point. I know there's a temptation so often if we just get our lives just in order enough, then we'll run to Jesus. No, that's not the point. The point is in the disorder to run to Jesus. That is the whole point. Came to heal that which was broken, to mend that which was broken. That's our start last week. That was Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 to 5, I think. Today we're doing, going to do Galatians chapter 1, chapter 2, and 3, verse 1 to 3. So there you go. I'm not going to read any of it, but that's what we're going to cover. I'm going to tell you the story. Um, we'll unpack it as we go along. This grace and peace of Christ, this grace and peace of our Lord, Heavenly Father, that Paul talks about in Galatians. Uh, it comes to Paul. Paul's understanding of this. This is crazy. Paul's understanding. Paul's revelation of this comes to him via 
Paul's understanding of this comes to him via divine revelation. Via some sort of mystical experience. Via some sort of supernatural encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul wasn't one of the disciples. Paul wasn't there when Jesus was preaching and teaching. Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted the followers of Christ. He wasn't on board. He wasn't one of the original gangsters. He wasn't one of the original crew. He wasn't a part of the 18. He's late to the party. But he comes to this revelation via this encounter with... Uh, there's my nephew. Uh, comes, to this via the, comes to this revelation of the grace and peace of God via this divine encounter. Wasn't originally a passionate follower of Christ. I so will read a couple of verses. Philippians first. Uh, this is Paul talking about himself. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure blood citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without a fault. This is Paul. Paul's not one of the original disciples. He's late to the party. And then in Galatians, he says in 1 verse 13, You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion? How I violently persecuted the Christians. I did my best to get rid of them. Did my best to get rid of them. Paul's there in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is martyred. Stephen's stoned to death. Paul's there as a young Jewish leader, Pharisee. Uh, they put their cloaks down at his feet while they execute Stephen. He's, he's been a part of the persecution of Christ's followers, not a part of telling the story of the grace and the peace of Christ. He wanted nothing to do with Christians, wanted nothing to do with their false messiah, with their blasphemous worship of Jesus. Uh, from Paul's perspective, Jesus had been justly executed, had been rightly put to death. And we just need to all move on, everybody. Let's not keep talking about this Jesus fellow. I mean, what did he do? Jesus was healing and harvesting on the Sabbath. Total disregard of one of the pillars of Jewish society and law. Uh, Jesus made these wild claims that he could forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is making these claims that he can forgive sins. Uh, He's eating with all of the wrong people. Uh, We did a series at St. Luke's called The Son of Man Came Eating and Drinking. And that's when we put together our beer crate. Pulpit that's stuck with us ever since. But but Jesus is eating and drinking with all of the wrong people. He's a glutton and a drunkard, they're saying. He's partying with all the wrong people. Jesus isn't about the divides that separate. He's about bringing together. But the, the Pharisees weren't happy about that. He opposes the tradition of the elders. And at one stage, he presumes to correct Moses. They're asking him about divorce. He says, oh, Moses, old mate said this, but I actually... And it's like, that doesn't go down well when you're correcting Moses. Moses is held in fairly high esteem. Um, play acting as Messiah rides into Jerusalem on this donkey on, and there's people singing hallelujah and putting palm branches down. That's a direct fulfillment of this prophecy. And what's this guy doing trying to reenact this prophecy of Zechariah? This, he's an imposter. He's a fraud. He's breaking all of the rules. Paul wouldn't have been happy about that. Uh, he, he totally disrupts all the stuff that's happening in the temple in regards to worship, makes a whip and cracks the whip and upturns tables kind of things. What does the crowd cry? Crucify him eventually, and he gets crucified. So from Paul's perspective, a justly executed law-breaking would-be Messiah. Because if you die, if you get executed, you're not the Messiah. That's just a little giveaway. And uh, if, you, if you get killed, well, 
because there'd been lots of people that had supposedly said they were the Messiah, but they all got killed at the end of the day. And it's like, well, obviously wasn't the Messiah because he hasn't set Israel free. Jesus get killed. And so Paul's happy about this just execution of this would-be Messiah. Paul obeyed the Lord without fault. Not uh, the law without fault. Not this Jesus fellow, though. He broke all the laws. But then Paul has this divine encounter on the Damascus Road. There's a blinding light and Paul says, Lord, Lord, who are you, sir? What's going on here? Kind of thing. And Jesus speaks to him. He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you are persecuting. And Paul comes in that moment to know the grace and the peace of Christ. Paul, who had it so right, suddenly he realized he had it so wrong. Uh, Jesus, that had it so wrong, suddenly Paul realizes he had it so right. And uh, for Jesus to be alive and glorified, no less, meant that the Son of God had vindicated everything about Jesus. Who he is and what he said and what he taught and that he healed and harvested on the Sabbath and that he upset the tables at the temple and that he said he could get forgive sins it's like look he's been executed clearly he wasn't the messiah but then he is raised from the dead and transformed and glorified that is god vindicating and affirming and backing up everything that jesus has ever said and done that puts paul in a little bit of a quandary paul's followed the law jesus didn't follow the law Jesus got executed under the law, but God said, no, that wasn't right. He shouldn't have been and raises Jesus to life. Suddenly Paul's in a bit of a quandary when it comes to the law. (laughs) What do I do with this? Because we did it all right and it turned out all wrong. And what I thought was righteousness is not righteousness. And what I thought wasn't turns out to be the case. How do I navigate that? If Jesus was condemned under the law, under Torah, as a transgressor and a blasphemer, but in fact was so righteous in God's sight that God raises him from the dead, then the law is no longer a reliable guide to what God counts as righteousness. This is a trip for someone like Paul. This is like this is this is a total rethink. Suddenly it isn't Torah, it isn't the law that's the final ultimate revelation of God's righteousness. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's righteousness. The ultimate revelation of grace and divine love and the center of all authority and revelation. Suddenly, it's not the law that it's the center. It's Christ that's at the center. That's disorientating for Paul. Righteousness, right standing with God, isn't found in keeping the law, but by being found alive in Christ. Paul has this other encounter with Christ where Jesus says to him, uh, My grace, my favor, my gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. That flips it all upside down. So Paul's got to reorientate things. So Paul disappears to Arabia for about three years. And likely preaching and teaching down in Arabia, down south of Damascus, perhaps just spending time in, you know, in um, solitude, silence, reflecting perhaps, but most likely preaching and teaching and doing these different things. He goes away and does that for three years. Uh, He's not one of the original disciples, though. Not one of the original disciples. He's not a part of that crew. Never met Jesus except for this divine encounter with the risen Christ. So he spends three years down there. But then he travels to Jerusalem. And he meets with Peter and James, the head of the church in in Jerusalem. He hangs out with them. Paul says, and this is all in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Hangs out with them for 15 days. After three years, he travels to meet with Peter and James. And he hangs out with them for 15 days, talking with them about the gospel. 
Talking with them about the good news of Jesus. Talking about their experiences of Jesus, no doubt. Uh, And checking that the gospel that he's preaching, this gospel of grace and peace, is in fact the right gospel. Because he's just had this divine encounter and now he's run with that for three years. I better check in with the guys that were there. Hey, this is what I'm doing. Are we on the same page? Peter and James. Yep, we're, we're on the same page. You're good. Keep up the good work that you're doing. So he goes back down and he carries on. Paul travels around preaching, teaching, pastoring, planting churches, doing these things that Paul does. He does that for 14 years amongst Gentile churches, ministering to Jews as well, but predominantly amongst Gentile churches. Uh, Gentile people starting churches and preaching grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Then he travels to Jerusalem again. This time he takes Barnabas and Titus with him. It's been 14 years and he goes back to Jerusalem again just just to touch base with um, Peter and James and John. And Paul's very much of that. He's a... Paul's a a different thing, but they're the original thing, and he wants to kind of know. But Paul doesn't take all his cues from them. He's out doing his thing, but he wants to kind of touch base. He talks privately, talks about this in Galatians, talks privately with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, Peter, James, and John, confirming that the gospel he preaches is the true gospel of grace and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, because he doesn't want the work he's been doing for the last 14 years to be in vain. Yep, checks with Peter, James, and John. Grace and peace, grace and peace. You keep, keep up the good work. No, you, it's all good. Just don't forget to look after the poor. Keep looking after the poor. But man, you, you, you're on it. Keep going. Peter, James and John add nothing to the gospel of grace and peace and encourage Paul and Barnabas and Titus in the good work that they're doing. Entrust your life to Christ. Pledge allegiance to Christ. Turn from your own way and follow the way of Jesus. Turn towards Jesus. Come alive in Christ. Discover Christ alive in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not this law thing. It's this encounter with Christ as you entrust your life to Christ. Christ's life is given to you. Come alive via the Holy Spirit in the things of Christ. Yes, yes, yes. You're on the same page. Uh, The apostles in Jerusalem had no expectation that Titus, who was a Greek, should be circumcised. And Titus said, praise the Lord. It's, 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 in, there, it's in there in the Greek. Why are we suddenly talking about circumcision? Circumcision is one of the rules of the law. To keep the law, you need to be circumcised. And then in Galatians here, it points out that they said nothing about Titus, because Titus is a Greek, hasn't been circumcised. It says nothing about Titus needing to be circumcised. And then Paul goes on in Galatians, he says, in fact... The issue of circumcision wouldn't have even come up. We wouldn't have even been talking about this. Wouldn't have even come up in this meeting with the Jerusalem leaders. If it wasn't for some, this is what Paul says, it wasn't for some so-called Christians. He says false ones, really. Some so-called Christians, false ones, really. Who were spying on the freedom that Paul and Barnabas and Titus had. Wouldn't have even come up in conversation. Except that there were some busybody Christians that were paying attention and watching. What's this freedom that Paul and Barnabas and Titus have? They don't even, is Titus not even going to get circumcised? Do they not keep any of the law? Do they not understand? Likely these are Jewish Christians that are still working out how much do we trust Jesus? How much do we trust the law? How much does it need to be an overlapping kind of a thing? How how did Jesus fulfill the law? What does the Sermon on the Mount mean? How we how and then there's this Peter, Barnabas, Titus that they just we're just living in grace and peace. We haven't trusted our life to Christ. Christ's life's been given to us. Circumcision wouldn't have even come up for these busybody busybody so-called false Christians that are wondering what's going on. Paul writes, though, 
They refuse to listen to them. We refuse to listen to them. He says, even for a single moment. We refuse to listen to them. Even for a single moment. Titus said, amen again. But, uh, you know, refuse to listen to them. Even for a single moment. They wanted to preserve the truth of the good news of the gospel. It's no longer about some sort of righteousness that comes from Sabbath keeping. From circumcision, from temple sacrifices. Right standing with God is found via your life lived in Christ, Christ alive within you. How does that happen? By turning from our way and saying yes to Jesus. The entrusting of our lives to Christ. In Galatia though, this is the whole point for this letter that Paul's writing. In Galatia though, there's some rival teachers that have turned up on the scene. Paul's planted these churches, started these churches, and he's been teaching and preaching. He travels, he's a missionary, does all sorts of things. And then he hears that these rival teachers have turned up in these churches in the area of Galatia and they are teaching other things, talking about other things. The grace and the peace of Christ Jesus with the addition of or add to that are striving to keep the law as well. Grace plus this, that and the other thing. But Paul will have none of it. I do have one passage from Galatians, or a couple from Galatians up on the screen. Paul writes this, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Later on he says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Shocked that so quickly you're turning away from the love of God revealed in Christ. You're following a different path that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the good news that we've preached to you. That good news is grace and peace in Christ. I say again, what you have said before, uh, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, he says, obviously. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. What what he's getting at there is that there's these people that are, oh, we better get circumcised. Oh, we better keep the law a little bit. Oh, we better do this. Oh, we better not eat with these people because we don't want to offend that group. We don't want to upset them. And Paul's like, no, that's people pleasing. You don't need to do that. And I'm not trying to please those people because if I was, I wouldn't be saying what I'm saying. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Galatians 3, verse 1 to 3. Again, oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you trying to become perfect by your own human effort? There's those two phrases from those two passages. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but I've got a people-pleasing with my goal. I would not be Christ's servant. Hard to please people for Paul in a first century Jewish concert. 
I don't know if they had them. In a first century Jewish context, by talking the way of Jesus. That's an offense to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Greeks. If I'm trying to please people, it's not the way of Jesus to please people. Because this is back to front and upside down. This is grace and peace. Why are you having started your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? People pleasing rather than pleasing God. Law rather than Christ. Human effort rather than the Holy Spirit. We could add some other words to that. Oh, you're going quick. That's all right. Others, rules, self. What do you want to do? You want to live by what others think? All the rules and all the strength you can muster in yourself? Or do you want to live the way of the Father, Son, and you could add some other words because Paul talks about a curse. He says that's, it's, that's a cursed way to live. There's a grace way to live. Darkness rather than light, you could say. Death rather than life. You can go all the way back to Deuteronomy. Choose this day. Death or light. Death or life. Light or dark. Cursed because it's doomed. It's trapped, it's hopeless, it's destructive, it's a dead-end way of living. That's why we describe it as being cursed. It's a, it's a dead-end way of... Have you ever tried to live your life by pleasing others, following all the rules, and doing it all in your own strength? How did you go at that? Did you nail that? No, it's doomed, it's trapped, ensnared, confined, restricted. It's a claustrophobic way of living. That's a good way of talking about it. I didn't have that in my notes. It's a claustrophobic... I'm just, hang on, I'm going to write that down. That was really good. Did you push start on the video? It's a claustrophobic way of living. Grace and peace. Father, Son and Spirit. Wide open spaces. Green pastures. Still waters. That's... Live that way. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I'm astonished that after having told you about grace and peace, this is me, last Sunday, that over the last, you're jumping back to this. Self and rules and others, it's claustrophobic. It's a dead end way of living. Go this way. So easy to slip into this though. Galatians 2 verse uh, 11 to 16, we won't really unpack it. But that little, those few verses right in the middle there, Peter was all good. Peter was eating and drinking with everyone. Peter was living grace and peace. But then these other people showed up on the scene and put some pressure on Peter, and Peter would have the meeting, but then he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He'd only go and eat with the Jews. And he went back to these lines of division. And he went back to following some of the law, and he went back to, oh, I don't want to, trying to, Paul talks about him trying to please people. Talks about how Paul sat down with Peter and rebuked him. I told him off. I said, Peter, what are you doing? Why have you gone back to this way? This is no good. If you go back to that way, isn't the whole way good? You know it's not. You've said yes to Christ. Why are you going back to a little bit of it? And if it's not good enough for you, why are you putting it on the Gentiles? You know you need grace and peace. So stop doing the law thing and not eating with people. You can read it in your own time in Galatians 2. Paul tells Peter off. No, Peter. No, it's grace and peace. Call, uh, Paul calls Peter's people-pleasing a hypocrisy. He says, Peter, no, this is, you, this is an hypocrisy, Peter. Tells him off. It's awesome. 
The law is an old system. Paul writes at the end of chapter 2 that he'd make himself guilty if he tried to rebuild the old system that he's already torn down. So Paul's, Paul's really forthright. The law, the Torah, I kept this. This is later in Galatians. Sean's going to do this next Sunday. But the law was a guardian. Uh, the law was like a babysitter until Christ came. We discard the, it's not that we don't follow the law. Christ fulfills the law. We don't need the babysitter, any, babysitter anymore. We, we find peace and grace and reconciliation and righteousness in Christ. Paul's kind of made that clear. He said, I'd be guilty if I was to go back to the old system that I've already torn down. This, this, this new thing happening in Christ. He died to the law so that he might live for God. No longer Paul that lives, but Christ that lives in him. And it says in, this is the end of Galatians 2, I think. Uh, he says, uh, he lives by trusting in the Son of God. He lives by trusting in the Son of God. I think mostly for us, if we're honest, we're probably not terribly guilty of running back to Torah as our alternative system of living life. Uh, that's, that's my pick for people that live in the Bay of Plenty by the sea. Mostly I'm thinking you're probably not grace and peace last Sunday and then on Wednesday you gave up shellfish, crayfish, pork and, you know, got circumcised. That's my guess. <laughs> it's not the... We, we're not likely to run back to law. That was the temptation for these early Christians, these Jewish Christians, and then for these Gentile Christians that the Jewish Christians putting pressure on them to follow law. That, that's their context. That's probably not the system that... Uh, ensnares us. But in our modern context, there's a tendency to cultivate a Christian faith that is grace plus this, that, and the other thing. They're grace plus law. But we we so easily become grace plus this, that, and the other thing, whatever it might be, people-pleasing and rules and human effort. Often because there are people spying on the freedom that we have in Christ, worried about the freedom that we have in Christ. Mostly pastors that are worrying and spying and Stressed out. Pastors who worry, if I preach more grace, what if I make it too easy? If I preach more grace, what if I make it too easy for people? And sin abounds all the more. Well, sin is abounding all the more anyway. So uh, I don't know if we can make it too easy. I don't know if you ever tried to live it anyway. It's, it's not that easy anyway. It's, it's, it's complicated, this falling of Christ. But I think that's... it. At times what happens, and sin just abounds all the more easily. Remember, sin's our failure to represent God faithfully. Sin is a failure to represent God faithfully. And sin is a failure of faithful worship to God. Start to pursue other things in life, become number one. That's what sin is. Failure to represent God faithfully. Failure to worship God faithfully. And we misrepresent God all too often, and we're sidetracked in life all the time, pursuing faithfully this, that, and the other thing. I think when it comes to sin, we can't get enough grace. You can't hear enough about grace. You can't really oversell grace when it comes to sin because grace is the only thing that can heal and restore and mend and reconcile and put back together. The only diagnosis isn't the right word. The only Medication isn't the right word either. But the, the antithesis, the healing, the mending of sin is grace. Grace is the answer to sin. The disposition of God towards us, the gift of Christ, 
the dance of grace that we're invited to participate in. Grace is the remedy to sin. Grace is what's needed in the face of sin. Grace is the only thing that makes it possible to face sin and death. I I joke a little bit about pastors spying and worrying about the freedom that people have and putting heavy burdens on them. Not really because I'm having to go at pastors, but because it can be tricky. Because nuance is required. If we up on the next slide, let's just put the first one up. Oh, back. If we put curse and people pleasing on death on one side, and if we put grace and freedom and life on the other, that, that, those are good. It's created a spectrum. Hello. Uh, but let's add some other words. There's other words that are needed. The next one. Well, it still requires diligence and wisdom. And healthy habits and practice, discipline and responsibility. Grace doesn't take away any of those things. Still requires all of those things. But if you're going to add those words, you need to add the next group of words as well. There is no performance and obligation and rules and burden and pressure and legalism. And when you put all of the words up on the screen, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That can be quite tricky to navigate. How do you tell people that investing your life into God's word and paying attention to scripture is life-giving? How do you do that in a way that for some becomes a burden and a pressure and a legalism? Yet for the other person is just a healthy habit and a great practice and a discipline. Because we, you know what that's like? Take up a discipline. Maybe you start running. You run four times a week for two months. It can become, though, that the running becomes a burden and a pressure. And it can be hard to, like, I'm going to take a week off. You're going to take a week off? How dare you? Kind of thing. You start your Bible in a year plan, 365 days of Bible. And, you know, as well as I do on March 11th, when you get to Leviticus 14, and there's (laughs) skin disease and defiling mold, and it all gets complicated. I just want to have a week off. You're going to have a week off? Backslider? (laughs) Now, one person is able to take a month off full of freedom and grace and life and no trouble. Somebody else, though, is, oh, there's an obligation. People pleasing. It's tricky. One person started the whole thing out of grace and healthy habits and wisdom. The other person started the whole thing out of obligation and a burden because somebody talked about it at church and four people said it was a good idea and so I thought I'd better too. That's where it gets tricky. That's where it becomes grace plus this, that and the other thing because we all need to be mature and to own all of those words at once and to recognize that when I'm preaching, sometimes I get excited about something and somebody's hearing that as, how exciting is that? We get to do that. And somebody else is hearing, oh, what a burden. It's like, oh yeah, because we've got different stories. So nuances require. Sometimes pastors don't get it quite right. Sometimes listening, we don't get it quite right. Now listening. All of those words are needed. Good things can become bad things, heavy things, burdensome things. Spiritual disciplines can become spiritual bondage. And then after a while become a delightful discipline again as we go through different seasons in life. 
Often the minute that we turn it into a system, though, that's when it becomes grace plus this, that, and the other thing. The minute that we say it is the key, or the principle, or the way that's going to unlock, or if you do it for 40 days, heaven will open, or whatever. The minute we turn it into some sort of system, mostly is when it suddenly becomes burdensome, legalistic. We end up with all sorts of things. Grace plus 40 days of purpose. Grace plus 365 day Bible reading plans. Grace plus every Bill Johnson podcast ever. Or St. Luke's podcast ever. Grace plus academic achievement. I like that. You know, I've done lots of study. I like the study. I like reading the books. It can easily become for me grace plus more books, more books, more books. Like, just stop. Read a comic. You'll be okay. No, it's not in Greek. It's like, you, you'll be fine. <laughs> These are not bad things. Some of these are things I like. Grace plus, you better never, ever, ever say a swear word. That's actually a true one. Um, <laughs> grace plus, everyone has to be in a small group. No, no, you don't. Grace plus, Passover celebrations, not just Easter. Uh, that's complicated. Easter's, it's all turned around in Christ. Grace plus, 24-7 prayer. Grace plus two hands lifted in worship. Or are you really even worshipping? That's actually like the swear word one. That's a little bit, actually. If you don't have two hands, are you worshipping? That's actually... <laughs> but you can also get grace plus, I don't ever have to do anything extra because I live in freedom. No, now you've distorted freedom into something else that it's not what it is. Because there's healthy disciplines and practices that are really good. Sometimes listening to a podcast once a week and you try not to miss any is the most healthy best thing that you can do for yourself so so grace plus i never have to do anything is sometimes no different to grace plus i have to read the bible in 365 days or i'm in trouble because freedom is not there's other you know we won't get there everything's permissible not everything's good for you we use our freedom wisely grace plus this and that and the other the good news of the gospel is always better than you just realized. We wrote it up there on the wall. And this good news that is better than you just realized is the gracious disposition of God towards you, is the gift of Christ Jesus, is the dance that you're invited to participate in. It's grace alone, though. It's not grace plus this, that, and the other thing. You might end up engaging in this, that, and the other thing. Very likely you will. But it's not grace plus those things. It's grace. It's the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of our Father in heaven. And these other things have their place, but they don't take the place. The invitation is to grace. But the dance of grace does tend to ask something of us. It does tend to ask spiritual disciplines and practices and healthy habits and those kinds of things. But don't turn them into a new system. The only system we have is the grace of Jesus Christ. The only answer we have to sin and death is the grace of Jesus Christ. A podcast is never the answer to sin and death. Even prayer. Prayer is not the answer to sin and death. The grace and peace of Jesus Christ is the answer to sin and death. The other things serve the thing that is Christ. Don't need to be people pleased, they don't need rules. It's not about human effort. Paul would tell you off like he had to tell Peter off. Our trust is in God's disposition of grace. Let's stand together. I've got one more.
quote to read off this. We are indeed called to forsake our sins. And no healthy Christian would suggest otherwise. When we sin, we forsake our true identity as a child of God. We invite misery into our lives. We displease our Heavenly Father. We are called to mature into deeper levels of personal holiness. From the Sermon on the Mount, that's wholesome, whole, and holy ways of being. As we walk with the Lord. Deeper consecration. New vistas of obedience. But when we don't, when we sin, though we forsake our true identity, our Savior does not forsake us. These are the very moments when his heart erupts on our behalf in renewed advocacy in heaven with a resounding defense that silences all accusations, astonishes the angels and celebrates the Father's embrace of us in spite of all our messiness. Though we forsake our true identity, our Savior does not forsake us. Heaven erupts. God embraces afresh. That's grace and peace. Let me close in prayer. As you go this morning, go in the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. As you go this morning, know that God's grace is sufficient for you. Know that God's grace alone is sufficient. Nothing need be added. Though you are weak, He is strong. And Christ's power, infinite loving kindness works in you. May the love of God, the life of Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit be yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.